The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, we've been working through the book of 1 John, and we're coming to the end, or near the end, and it has occurred to me, I have no idea what we're doing next, and that's not a good thing. So pray for us, pray for the elders and the staff as we start to think about um, something we should have been thinking about already, and uh, that is what's next. I have been told a couple suggestions. I'm open to suggestions, anything but revelation, uh, and I've heard that suggestion, and I've already declined. Um, not ready for that, not, not in a good, good enough, strong enough place for that one right now, and so, um, but I am open for what? You're ready. Oh, I'm ready. Okay, thank you, Noran. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Appreciate it, but... Um, so uh, as you pray, if you think of something that you particularly like to study, um, let us know. And uh, I will, uh, t- we'll, we'll take it into prayer and figure out where the Lord is leading us. So uh, in the book of 1 John, what has John been doing? Um, we, we have been seeing that John has been giving us uh, three... Sorry, I clicked it off on the, on the podium. Uh, three tests to help us discern whether we are authentic believers or not. Um, and now these are tests that are, provide indicators or signs, things that, uh, that kind of help us say, yeah, I think, I think I see evidence of the authentic relationship with the Lord. We began the whole book series with the illustration or analogy of women's designer handbags and how there are so many really good counterfeits that it's hard to tell the difference. And we said, if you know what to look for, you can tell if it's authentic or counterfeit. Well, in our life, we want to know if we can see things that give us assurance that our relationship with the Lord is authentic. We live in a a, a city where 98% of the people who answered George Barna's survey a few years ago, 98% of people in Shreveport, Bossier area said they are Christians. And so I just want to make sure I do my part in helping us understand what authentic Christianity is. And John has been writing this letter to a church who were much like us, gathered together, proclaiming our faith in Christ. But then after a season, some people started rising up and saying, wait, I got a different gospel. I've had a different experience with the Lord that their gospel, they said they've been made right with God through this spiritual encounter that did not require Jesus to be divine. They did not require the apostles testimony about Jesus being the son of God who took on flesh, who died on the cross to pay the price for sins that someone may be reconciled to God only through Jesus. They said, no, I I can be right with God because I've had this experience. And they rose up. Thankfully, by God's grace, they were removed and they left the church. They did not destroy the church. The church remained strong and overcame them. But what was left was a church that was rattled, a church that was unsettled. And John has been writing saying, hey, you got this. I don't want you to be wishy-washy. I want you to know that you are authentic. And so he's given them signs. And it's coming from a place of assurance, not a place of casting doubts. Now, as you assure people saying, here's how you can know this, this, and this, some people may go, whoops, I need to get right with the Lord because I'm missing it. And maybe that's been happening, but our desire has been to, to provide assurance 
of salvation by making clear that these are signs or these are evidences or these are indications of authentic salvation. First, it's faith in Christ alone, that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He died on the cross to pay the price for sins. And that when you say, am I a Christian? You don't say, well, I'm religious. No, that's not, what it, it, that's not how it works. You say, yeah, I'm trusting only in Christ to make me right with God. When you say, am I a Christian? You don't say, I've been really good. No, you say, I'm only trusting in Christ and he makes me right with God. So when you look at your life and you're looking for authenticity, you say, am I trusting only in Christ? When I stand before God on judgment day and he says, why should I let you in heaven? What makes you right with me? Your only answer is if you genuinely say, I'm trusting in Christ. Don't look at me, look at Christ. That's the first test. The second test is what was called a moral test. Holiness, righteousness, obedience to God. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but if God, the Holy One, is living in you, then you should see His holiness coming out of you. That you have a new heart with new desires, a love for the Word, a love, a desire to obey God's commands. You love Him and so you trust Him and you want to obey Him. And do you see that in your life? And when you fail to obey him, are you grieved because you long to obey him? That's an evidence. That is evidence of being in Christ, of being authentic, is the desire and a evidence of growing holiness over the long term of your life. Are you seeing the holiness of God showing up in your life? If you do, then be assured. If you don't, then be afraid and deal with it. And the final thing is love. Do you see the love of God flowing out of your life from God flowing into you and out of you? And today, that's where John goes. He's, this is his third time to talk about love. Anytime something's repeated three times in the scriptures, it's very important. So this is his third time in 1 John that he has visited this topic, that if you are truly an authentic believer, then you will see love. You will love one another. Verse 7 at the beginning of this passage He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 21, at the end of this passage, he says, This is the commandment we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother also. So this passage opens and closes with the exhortation and the command to love one another. Now, he is speaking as believer to believers. Beloved, that means the ones I love. And he says, let us, including himself in the message, he's saying to the church, Beloved. Let us love one another, starting in the church. Obviously, it includes outside the church, but it must begin in the church. So what does John mean, love? We have a world filled with definitions of love. I think everybody in the world would say, yeah, love. We got to love. And there is a common grace given to all of humanity Because all humans are made in the image of God and they bear, though terribly disfigured and marred, they bear the image of God and they get the concept of love at some level. Is that what John is talking about? All of us, let us show that we are in Christ by our generic love. I don't think that would show any of us, get us confidence that we're in Christ if we're loving just like unbelievers love. Unbelievers love those who love them, love those who serve them and do well for them. Maybe love them and they have love who they have common things in common with. Maybe they love family. 
Is that what John's talking about? Clearly it's not. It has to be something unique and different. What is this love? What does it look like? How do we know it? Where does it come from? That's what John is doing today. When he commands us as believers to love one another, to give evidence of the authenticity of our faith in Christ, he is speaking about a specific love. And to help us understand why this command is so important, he goes back to the nature of God to explain it. He's going to say, God is love, God has loved, and God God still loves. And he talks about the priority of it. God has first loved, therefore. Not that you have loved, but that God has loved. And in light of the fact that God has first loved, therefore you must love also. So he's going back to the nature of God and how he has first loved us. And he's going to look at what that looks like, what that means in particular. And he's going to say, if you are authentic in Christ, you must love the same way. So let's look, and I give credit to John Stott for those points about God is love, God has love, and God still loves. So let's ask the Lord to help us in this time of study. Lord, I ask for your spirit to move powerfully in our hearts, especially today in this issue that is going to touch deep, deep within our hearts where we all have great struggles and we need help, Lord. This is not our desire, is not to just be an intellectual exercise. We want you, Lord, to work powerfully deep within our hearts to bring about God-glorifying transformation this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will move and that people at the end of this service will be prepared to do business with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look first of all God is love. John is using this to say, listen, you should love. Why? God is love. Look at the second part of verse 7. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love And so John points to the nature of God as being love, and he points to the fact that that love comes from God. So the fact that we can even love comes from God and the nature of God. So God is the essence of the love that he's talking about, and God is the source of the love that he's talking about that we must have. Positively, love, this is a logical argument, positively, love evidences that this person has been born of the new nature of God. John is very passionate about this topic, that Christianity is not just an assent to a set of doctrines. It's not less than that, but it's not just that. The demons and the devils believe, but he says there is something more required. And it is being born again by the Spirit of God so that you partake of the divine nature of God. And so what is this divine nature of God that is evidence that we have participated in? It is love, divine love. It's a love that comes from God, not from the natural man. Because God himself is love. And so if 
we see this love in us, this divine love that we're going to explain in this message, then it is an indication that we are, quote, born of God, born again, born by the seed of the Spirit of God, as John referred to it in 1 John 3, 9. He spoke about the seed of God being implanted in us that brings life. This is borrowing from the human analogy of a man's seed implanted in a woman, and so that new life is birth we have we are going to have by the end of the next month 10 babies in this church we get this concept so the spirit of god must be implanted in our soul and it must be united with faith and out comes new spiritual birth new life that participates of the nature of god which is divine and in particular which is love So he's asking us, do you have the divine love of God in you? When you think about your faith in Christ and someone says, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, what does that mean? Well, I believe this. Certainly requires us understanding the doctrinal teachings about the apostles' gospel that Jesus is the son of God. He took on flesh And he died, he buried, paid the price for our sins, and he rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding on our behalf, and he comes again bodily in the resurrection. He will resurrect us all. But do you understand the love of that gospel message? That it is a relationship that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinning, Not after we repented, not after we got ourselves clean and lovable, but while we were wicked and rebellious and unlovely and undeserving sinners, mocking him, hating him, rebelling against him, he died for us. Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see the glory of the gospel that you cry, Abba, Father? The Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father, Dad, you did that for me. He says, that's what we're talking about. What is that love in particular? Well, God has love. That's the second point in verses 9 through 11. We see the greatest example of God's love in verses 9 through 11. He says, by this, The love of God was manifested. That means to make known, to reveal, to make visible. The love of God was revealed or manifested in us by this. What? God has sent his only begotten. That means the one and only uniquely begotten of God, the son of God into the world so that we might live, that we might have that spiritual life and abundant life that we might have that through him in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice of our sins, to be the one and only unique, sacrificial, unblemished lamb of God that can take away the infinite wrath of God that is rightly due us for our sins. He absorbed that on himself for us, our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
So in these verses, we see that the the nature of this love that he's talking about is radically different than the common human worldly love. This is a proactive love. It is a unique love that is only found in the one and only begotten Son of God who took on flesh. It is a self-denying love. It is a sacrificing love. And it is a love, in verse 14, he says, of the Savior of the world, which clearly implies of undeserving recipients. It's completely different than the world's love. This is not a love that says, I get these good feelings from you, and so I'm going to give you good feelings. This is the, the love that says that though you are undeserving, I am going to, at great cost to myself, I am going to sacrifice of myself in order to bring you life and blessing and healing and grace. And the bullseye of it is forgiveness. Forgiveness. What is this love he's talking about? It's, it's, it's warm feelings, certainly. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's the things that the world understands. But you keep burrowing down deeper and deeper into what is unique about this love that is uniquely Christian, uniquely divine uniquely begotten of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's undeserved forgiveness that costs everything to bring life, to bring healing, to bring reconciliation. God has loved you this way. If you are in Christ. That's true love. We're called to forgive. As we have been forgiven. We are commanded to love those. Who we are absolutely convinced. Do not deserve it. See that's the irony of forgiveness. The very essence of forgiveness is of divine Christ-like forgiveness is forgiving when you when you know the person doesn't deserve it. That's when we think we're most justified in not forgiving. It's like, oh, I forgive. I'm a forgiving person. Well, I ain't forgiving them. They don't deserve it. Like that's the whole idea. That is the point. So at that moment, when we talk about forgiveness. And the Spirit of God pierces your heart and brings that person to mind. And you're saying, they don't deserve it. He says, you didn't deserve it. If you think your Christian life is all about you believing enough to be saved, then you will never grasp this point. If you think your Christian life is you doing enough to be saved or to be forgiven, then you will never get this point. If you think the Christian life is performing well enough to earn the forgiveness, then you will never get this point. The whole point hinges on you understanding and I understanding this point. 
You and I did not deserve forgiveness, and he gave everything to bring you and I forgiveness. Then and only then can we love with a love that is so uniquely Christian that it brings great glory and honor to God, and it brings life to relationships. The practical benefits alone should motivate you to do this. Unforgiveness destroys you. And as I scan the room, as I said in the first service, a lot of you are thinking, oh, he looking at me. I just want to tell you right now, I am. But it's a ton of us. It's not just one of us. This is rampant. Why? Because it's human nature. At the end of this service, I'm going to invite you to come and to do business with the Lord. You will not move forward in your walk with the Lord with unforgiveness. It will destroy you. It will destroy you. It will destroy your relationships. It will eat you alive. And you will not go anywhere until you do business with that. Who do you need to forgive? True love is forgiving those who don't deserve it. And God says that kind of love evidences that you have experienced it through Christ from him. This is certainly a unique supernatural love. It's much different than the human common grace love that all enjoy. Stott summarizes it well saying, God loves sinners who are unworthy of his love and indeed subject of his wrath. He loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are lovable, but because he is love. And so the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his self-sacrifice for the wholly undeserving. A clearer manifestation of God's love could not be imagined. The costliness of his love for those who are completely undeserving. That's the gospel message and that's the way God's Essence of love is revealed. If you've experienced that, John says, how could you not do the same for others? So we are called to forgive. We are called to be forgiving people. We are not just called to, to, to emote fuzzy, warm feelings. And that shows that we are Christians. It, that's certainly part of it, that there is a love. We had lunch this week with some brothers from the church at the new restaurant up here at the corner. It was so cool. It's a small little restaurant. It was so cool. I felt like mayor of Hoosville. I mean, it was like everybody walked in. Hey, what's up, brother? Got we like, hug, you know, and we, hey, what's up, hug? And it was, what's up? A big old hug, a big guy, hug. I mean, it was like, hug. This guy kept a hug. I mean, literally. And then afterwards, I was just sitting there going, Noticing the people around us probably thinking, 
It was something different. It was just love. It's so much more than that, though. It's, it's love when you know enough to know the unlovely, unlovely stuff. Do you see the grace of God enabling you to love and to forgive the unlovely stuff? That's uniquely Christian. It's not easy. And it's something that I want to encourage you without watering down the call. Without watering down the call that you must do this. I want to encourage you with the fact that if you are ripped to shreds in your heart over the unforgiveness, if it is grieving you, and you are waging war, and you are doing battle, and you are praying, and you are asking God, God, help me forgive this person. That's evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Because it's not performance. It's not that you have to forgive perfectly. And if you say, well, I've got unforgiveness. I'm not a believer. Are you praying and seeking and asking God to help you by His grace to forgive then that's, that's the road you need to be on. And I believe God will give you victory if you don't give up the fight too soon. So God is love and God has loved in Jesus. And God still loves. This is verse 12 through 21. And there's a lot of stuff here I won't be able to get to. It's way too much information But verse 12 provides a good two-point outline to follow for the whole section. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. So in the context of saying, This invisible God who no one has seen in his fullness, directly looked at They may have seen representatives of him. They've seen Jesus in his incarnation, which certainly is God. But the fullness, complete vision of God, we worship an invisible God. But he says, in that context, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. God abides in us. What is he saying there? I want to read verses 13 through 16. I want you to tell me this is a great little exercise of your participation. First church, first service got it. About a 50%. Let's read verse 13 through 16. You tell me the key word. I'm trying not to give it away the way I read it. By this, we know the spirit. Excuse me. By this, we know that. No, that wasn't. (laughs) In my text, it's right below there. I got offline. Hold on. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed that the love which, excuse me, we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Key word. Say it again. Okay, Uh, yeah, that's right, even though it's not. That's what the first service said. That is right. It's abide in, or in is the one I was looking for. 
So I failed. Y'all succeeded. So abide in, which is the Holy Spirit. So the whole point he's saying here, when you love this way, you reveal that the Holy Spirit abides in us. And that's how we know, that's how we're able to love God. As I've already said, that the Spirit of God enables us to cry out, Abba, Father, that's test one. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? And the Spirit enables us to love with the love of God. Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So for you to be able to forgive that person who absolutely, 100%, without a shadow of doubt, has wounded you on purpose for their own good at your expense... For you to forgive that person, love that person, be kind to that person, have community with that person, not to call the staff and say, I can't be in group with that person. For you to be able to do that, it takes the Spirit of God doing a work in your heart. And when you do that, you know God's in you. John says, that's what I want for you. God Abiding in you, enabling you to proactively at great self-denial and self-sacrifice, do good, bring life, forgiveness of someone who absolutely does not deserve it and has not even asked for it yet. Remember, I'm speaking to a bunch of people. It's just not natural. That's the point. It's supernatural. Raymond Brown explains this section of scripture. He says, the theme of love runs through the unit. An outgoing love that comes from God is manifested in Jesus, gives us life and remains in us, actively manifesting itself in love of others and of God. That's what John means when he says God's love is perfected in us. The second part, verses 17 through 21, he speaks about love being perfected in us. He's saying that the love of God accomplishes God's goal for that love. It doesn't mean that you love perfectly. It means that when when you love others, God says, perfect, that's what I'm looking for. That's why I loved you, is so that you would then love others. Look at verse 17 and following. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. So assurance comes from this perfected love, which is the assurance comes as the love of God, the forgiving love of God pours through us and we start forgiving those who don't deserve it or even ask for it. When we see that in our life, it's perfected in the sense that it grows our assurance And so we have confidence, again, back to verse 17, we have confidence in the day of judgment that when he comes, he's already spoken about this early in 1 John, the day when Christ returns, the idea being that we will have confidence to speak freely. 
We will not hold. We will not shrink back. We will run to his arms in love, crying, Abba, Father, I love you. Thank you so much for your grace and your love. I know you love me. I know you're here to get me. I know you're here to bless me. I know you're not here to judge me because I know your love because I've seen it. The forgiving, undeserving love of God coming out of me into others. And so I know that's what you have for me on the day of return. So there is no fear of discipline. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for the one who does not have love for the brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the command that we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother. God has a goal in mind. And that is to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. How is he doing it? By pouring his undeserved, forgiving love that cost him everything into people so that they then will reveal his glory, manifest him, show the invisible God to the world, to the workplaces, to this church, to people in our community. As we do the same for them, God is made visible. And God says, perfect. That's what I'm looking for. And there's blessed assurance that accompanies this kind of love. It's a good place to be. Completely opposite from that place of anguish and anger and bitterness and resentment that festers, that kills that destroys, that creates death. Instead, when the Spirit of God gives healing and forgiveness, life, a new bud of hope and life starts to blossom and healing and reconciliation and confidence and assurance and joy and hope returns. And it's the work of of God. It comes not by thinking about what you've done to be forgiven. It comes not by thinking of how religious you have been to earn his forgiveness. It comes not by thinking about your good deeds and how repentant you were for God to forgive you. It comes by remembering he first loved you when you didn't deserve it. He poured his blood and spilled it on the cross for you as you were sinning against him. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is supernatural love. And when he has touched you with that, when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see the glory of His love in Christ, that it wasn't you that deserved it, it was just because that's who He is. Then you are able to wage war against sin and unforgiveness and bitterness. And I want this song that we're about to sing. It's a nice long song. And after the song, if we're still doing business with the Lord, they'll just keep going somehow, some way. 
And I want you to do business with the Lord. We don't do this often. This is what you call an altar call. I want you to come up here publicly because there is a step, a blessing in you coming publicly to say, I need the Lord. I admit I need to forgive. And if one person comes, I'm just telling you, there's a whole bunch more that need to be up here with that person. And if you want me or, or Jerry, Jerry Planchock will be up here. Are there any other elders? Is Googe? Elders come up front. If you want someone to say, listen, this thing's got a hold on me. I got to let it go. We'll lay hands on you and we'll pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you to remind you that God first loved you in the gospel and that you will not give up and that you will release this unforgiveness. I invite the, I see Bob, Bob's going to come forward too. I invite the band to come. And during this song, don't wait. Come on up and do business with the Lord. And the elders will be up here and we'll join you in prayer. And if you don't need us to pray, you're welcome to just come and pray. I expect to see business with the Lord this morning. Father God, please move powerfully in our hearts this morning. This is our great calling, is to love the way you have loved. And that requires forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will move powerfully in our hearts, that you will bring about right now a mighty conviction in people's hearts to say, yes, I need to forgive this person. I need to do business with you, Lord, and that we will come forward and we will do business with you and that you will bring great healing, great glory and honor to yourself, that you will make this place a place of undeserving love and forgiveness so that people see the gospel manifested in us, that God saves people who don't deserve it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.